Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, episode 9. July 3rd, baby. For this week's episode, we're discussing the Fountain of Youth. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? For our second story, we're talking about muons. Muon technology has found new ways to discover new links about the Pyramid of Giza. What you got for us, Billy? So if you realize, if you look at the, if you do a rewind on the geological clock of Giza, you find out that the Nile ran right up next to the pyramids. For our third story this week, we're discussing the 4th of July. Happy 247th birthday to our great nation. Happy birthday, America. Happy birthday, red, white, and blue. But before we jump into that great mix, Anthony, hit him with that great intro song. Let's get it. Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, where we dive into the things that matter most to men, like sports, business, and mental conditioning. But we don't stop there. We also incorporate health topics, because being a well-rounded dude means taking care of yourself. We're your hosts, Anthony and Cameron, and we're excited to bring you this show, where we discuss hot topics and interview experts in their field. Real dudes, just like you. So sit back, grab a donut, and maybe some coffee, and join us in the bakery. Well, dudes, for our first topic this week, we're talking about the fountain of youth. For real, for real. Like, if if this fountain of youth had a Twitter page, this would be the real fountain of youth. It'd have that blue check next yeah, to it? Yeah, the blue check. Okay. They, they'd be paying eight ninety nine a month right okay. now. To yeah, so they're paying for it, though. Yeah, they're having to pay for it. This wasn't the OG. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because uh, in South Korea, looks like, as of Wednesday of this week, new laws went into effect in South Korea for every single person is shaving off two years from their life. So if you were if you were 30 years old, as of Wednesday of this past week, you are now 28. And what if I was, well, what if I was 21? So this brings into a good point. You were about to just get, say say your birthday is Fourth of July, and you were about to turn twenty one in Korea. Which I don't know if that legal age for drinking is twenty one there, but let's just say it is. Well, I just looked it up, bro. So, just to answer that question real quick, yeah. um, the legal drinking age is nineteen in South Korea. Oh, oh I'd still be safe. Okay, I would still be safe. Okay, so you'd still be safe. But if you were about to turn nineteen, I guess. True. And you're now going to be turning 17. I would be pretty upset. Gosh. Anyways, so the whole reason behind all this is South Korea, prior to this Wednesday, the way that your birthday worked was, let's say you were born on December 31st. You were born as a one-year-old. You weren't born as a zero-day-old or first-day-old. 
you were born as a one-year-old. But every single South Korean at the turn of the new year on January 1st, every single Korean changes their age up one more year. So let's say you were born on December 31st. That day, you're one years old. The next day on New Year's Day, you are now two years old at two days old. Hmm. You know, one argument I could always think of before I was 21 was that I always felt like they were cheating us in an age because I'm like, man, we were born. It took nine, nine months to develop in the womb. So when you come out, you should already be nine months old. But, hey, man. They're robbing us of nine months, man. Right, right. Absolutely. So, But as I'm looking here, dude, the drinking age for um, South Korea is 19. And you have to be 19 just to be able to get into a, any bar that serves alcohol. Mm. So there you go. There you go. 19 and up. So these South Koreans right now are getting the fountain of youth treatment right now and, and shaving some years off of their life. We also know some other calendars out there that are are even further behind in, in years, right? Right. Um, if you're looking at the Ethiopian calendar, um, right now, the Ethiopian calendar today is the year 2015. That's, uh, what is that, eight years difference, bro? So we're looking at that. And I think it also has to do with just the fact that they have 13 months in their calendar, which have 12 of which have 30 days. Yeah. And that so that that kind of makes more sense. This is probably really good to have on. Just a, this is probably another topic right here in and of itself. But why don't we do that? Why don't we have thirteen months that cycle with our moon, right? And you have so you have thirteen months of twenty-eight days, which is a cycle of a moon phase, right? Or each moon phase is, it goes right. through a cycle, right? Yep. And then you have, so it's 364 days right there. And then you have the day of, of I don't know if you call it, I, got the, I think they call it restoration or rejuvenation or, or something or another, which is January 1st, which is outside of the calendar and just starts all over again. But we have this weird 12-month system. Yeah, the, uh, the Ethiopian calendar is similar to the Coptic Egyptian calendar since both have 13 months, 12 of which have 30 days and an intercalary month at the end of the year called Pagum, which means forgotten days in Greek. This last month has five days or six days in a leap year. So the whole Coptic region has it right, man. That if it's the Grecians, the Egyptians, it, what are we doing? Anyways, uh, info at Donuts with Dudes, or you can find all of the links to all of our shows and our social medias in our link tree at Donuts with Dudes. And for our second topic this week, hey, Anthony, you know, how are the pyramids built, man? I, I don't believe that they know yet. I, I, I think they have certain... You know, there's a couple of different stories behind that. And I believe we got into one last week, you know, where we kind of touched a little base on it, was, which was some mythical stories about like Anunnaki and stuff like that. But then you also believe tens of thousands of people pulling on ropes and pulleys, lifting these two and a half ton blocks. Yeah, I got to tell you right now, in this Texas heat, the heat index is like 115 right now. 
dude, I could not imagine being out there in the summer pulling something. Man, I, I, I wouldn't last a day. No, man. Think about that. It's interesting, you know, people like the Egyptians come out and they, they crucify Elon Musk for his theories around aliens and, and all that building, the pyramids. And there's a there's enough surrounding it now where one can sit here and think, man, that's kind of a compelling argument. I think, one, we might have a misconception of, of history in a sense of why do we think that back then there was no technology? Why do we think that they were primitive just because it was that far back? Why couldn't there be a time period or a great reset that happened? And guess what? You got to start all over again. I think some people have come out and said that there were like five different epics, epochs. Yes. That this world has been through where there's been a great reset of different as far, you know, things like information, technology, things like that have been wiped out whatever that may be, whatever scale that we're just living in the fifth epic that, you know, these pyramids were maybe created in the previous epic and are just prehistoric prior to us ever having any written documentation of, you know, prior prior to when writing became something that we did to transcribe history, right? I think that kind of fits with the story of maybe some great resets and that there were, you know, if you're even looking at some hieroglyphics, man, back then, they've, they've got some with uh, helicopters in it. There's even some hieroglyphics of even a cell phone that looks like the old school Nokia, bro. I, I'm, I'm not kidding. No. Yes. So, you know, just some of this stuff, you know, a lot of it, I wouldn't even say theories. I would probably say just research and things like this. They've looked at dimensions of the, of the pyramids, the placements of the pyramids, and that just they all align. The ancient Egyptians appear to have used two constellations to align their pyramids. And this is based off interestingengineering.com. So guys, if you want to go check that out, you can see exactly what I'm looking at. But it says the ancient Egyptians appear to use have used two constellations to align their pyramids in the north-south direction, the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. The alignment is so precise that their north-south positions are within accuracy of up to 0.05 degrees. However, it is important to note that the alignment of the stars is constantly changing, albeit at a very slow rate. Hmm. So, you know, pretty interesting to me that we're still, today in 2023, still discovering things about the pyramids that we didn't once know. You know, and you kind of go through schooling, learning about the pyramids and thinking like, oh, we've, we've got this whole thing figured out, right? Textbook. We the whole world understands the pyramids, but here recently they were there was this new technology that's come out with being able to shoot what's called muons through the pyramids, and they're able to see basically map out the whole entire pyramid itself. And they did this on the Great Pyramid, and they were able to find a secret, a uh, hidden way in this pyramid. You know, you got this, what, almost 3,000-year-old pyramid. Nobody, you know, quote-unquote, 3,000 years. And nobody's known about this secret alleyway. We're like, wow, like we're still discovering things about this and we still don't know about it. Like, that is so crazy to me. But this movement technology is really neat because, you know, apparently we get this stuff zapped through us. Like 10,000 particles go through us every single day. And actually, it's actually the equivalent of having 10 x-rays a year go through us. So this stuff is all around us. And it's really cool that we're able to harness this particular particle to 
get an insight on physical objects and things like that. But that's just a nerd of me. Now, and I think it's also important to note that, you know, at least back then we were, they had taught us, you know, that these uh, pyramids were actually tombs for pharaohs and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. And I think actually now that it's come out that that may not be so true and that they were actually physical... Uh, Power sources. Yes, yes, sources of power and the, how they harnessed, uh, you know, energy from the universe. Guys, what do you guys think about this topic? I think with the massiveness of social media, I think that we've got a lot of different aspects and information thrown at you. If you're picking up anything that's kind of interesting or have an opinion on this, hit us in our show notes. There's a link in there. There's a way to get a shout out on our website, DonutsWithDudes.com. You can send us an email, info at DonutsWithDudes.com. Let us know what you're thinking. And for our third and final story this week, Anthony, we're talking about nothing other than the 4th of July. Raise your flag, whiskey for my men, beer for my horses. Mm. You know, there's a lot of things to love about the 4th of July, dude. And there's a lot of things that I love. There's a lot of nostalgic pieces that come along with the 4th of July and this whole entire weekend and just everything surrounding it, the camaraderie. The flags everywhere. I love our, I love our country, man. God bless America. God bless America. Anthony and I put together our top four things for the 4th of July that we just love our 4th of July experience. Number one on this list, since we're interviewing a brewing expert, our number one pick for this is beer. Anthony, are you going to be indulging in a little bit of uh, drinking this weekend, maybe? You know, uh, I, I imagine myself being somewhere near uh, the lake or pool. So you know what? I, I probably will have a cooler, ice down, some nice cold ones in there. Interesting fact, Modelo just overtook Bud Light in market share in America. So Modelo is selling more cans of their beer than any other beer right now in America. Man, do you have you do you like Modelo? I love Modelo. What's your favorite? I just love the the regular especial. Yes, me too. That's always a good one to go back to, man. I, that's one of my favorites. Going into our second favorite thing, barbecue. Barbecue's a must. Absolutely, dude. What is your your main course staple for your 4th of July meal? You got to have some type of rib. Yes. Ribs got to be in there, right? Ribs, ribs in there. I just feel like that 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 is, if you're looking at a Pinterest ad or putting together something on a Canva uh, making a right now, if you go look on Facebook and look at all the company's posts, ribs are in there, man. Yeah, gotta have them. ribs. Yeah, you gotta wrap a rack of ribs. I also feel like you know, possibly some brisket. I feel like brisket's in there too. You know, yeah, you, you gotta have that. Maybe you you gotta throw a link of sausage on there. Yeah, sausage links, uh, hot dogs for the kiddos. Yeah, gotta throw that in there. And for the adults, for the late night snack. I feel like, you know, that's an easy one, too, to throw together. You get you, you know, go throw you a bun. That's even a mid, that's like a, that's even a midday snack when you're out there on the lake or you're out there, you know, you're, you've been on a boat all day, you know, you've been tubing, you're riding a jet ski, whatever you're doing, you're trying to replenish the energy that you just lost out there on the sun. And guess what? You know what? You're going to come by the table and you're going to see a hot dog. You might grab that hot dog, throw it on a bun. Pour a little mustard on it and uh, grab you a bag of chips and go back out there. You know, it's real easy. That's America right there. America. Fun fact, 
150 million hot dogs are consumed alone on 4th of July. Wow. There are uh, roughly 350 Americans. So one for every other, every th- one for every three American. And you know what? I'm sure um, I might be able to pick up the slack for some Americans. <laughs> Our third favorite thing for, for, the, for the 4th of July, fireworks. You a fireworks guy? You know, I am in a controlled setting. I'm not really the kind of guy that just goes out there and it, I, nothing wrong with that. I do have a lot of friends that will go out and, you know, spend a good amount of money at these fireworks stands and just, just to have the fun out there and to go out with a bang. Um, but growing up, for my family, you know, we would actually just, we really wouldn't do a lot of that unless we were out at the lake or we were camping. But if we were in town, we were definitely going to go see the, the local fireworks show. Fireworks is America, man. You, you got to catch some fireworks. And there's nowhere really in this country, unless you live in the remote parts of the Smokies or Rocky Mountains, you're going to hear the pops of fireworks, right? Yes. So, and, I mean, you know, black cats, where are you at, you know? Yes. Uh, black cats are- uh, you Roman got, candles. Roman candles are going to be, you're going to get shot with one. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to get shot with one. One of the black cats is going to have a short fuse <laughs> and it's going to go off in somebody's face. You know what's going to happen. They're going to say, move, Terry. Terry, what you doing, Terry? Back up, Terry. Back up. Anyways, fun fact here. Firework sales last year in America, $2.6 billion. Man. I seem like, it seems a little low to me, dude. I don't know. It seems a little low. Yeah. I, I have. Let's think about it. You know, well, I don't know if we were still social distancing back then. But, you know, we were outside, and that's all you could do. Yeah, well. That's, that's safe. That's, so that's fair. So these couple, these numbers that I have here say 2019 was at $1 billion. In 2020, it went from $1 billion to $1.9 billion. So almost doubled during the pandemic, right? Mm. Kind of makes sense. I can get that. And then in 2021, it was at 2.2, and then last year, 2.6. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Are we hitting some rough times right now in the economy? I don't know. People going to spend money on fireworks? I don't know. But for our final and fourth favorite thing about the 4th of July, vacations, my dude. Yeah, dude. It's that, you know, it's that summertime, man. Got to be out there, bro. So if we're looking at here, I'm looking at Reader's Digest, 35 best 4th of July weekend getaways. You'll never forget. I'm just going to go ahead. We'll just do the top three. How let's do top Let's hear it. Let's do the top three, man. So number one on this list, Cape Cod. You been out to Cape Cod, bro? The harbor? The harbor. The harbor. No, I've never been to the harbor. Mm, I, I can't say that I have either, but it does say when you think of 4th of July, you think of fireworks, and let's be honest, you can see fireworks from anywhere. To me, Falmouth, Massachusetts on Cape Cod has the most magical display because they shoot them off a barge over Vineyard Sound. The harbor. What's number two? Number two? Washington, D.C. I'm guessing there, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Here you are, they're probably saying, hey, if you're going to go on vacation and go look at some Washington monuments and, you know, you're doing the American travel thing, I think maybe that's where that is. Kind of like the Mecca. You know, you got to do it. Everybody's got to do it, right? Right. Um, I'll let you go and you can tell me about it. I did go to Washington, D.C. when I was like probably. I did in seventh grade. Yeah, I went when I was super young. It was cool, though. I did like it. It was fun. It was, you know. And the high-pitched voice. It was, it was fun, you know. 
Yes. But it is interesting to see where, you know, the foundations of our nation and all that. So everybody's got to do it in your life. Everybody's got to do it. Sure. Got to check that off. Number three, Mount Rushmore. Oh, okay. Independence Day at Mount Rushmore is a two-day event and takes place on the 3rd and 4th of July every year. So go check out the rager, the two-day rager going on (laughs) at Mount Rushmore. Dudes, we'd love to hear what your favorite things about 4th of July are. We listed our top four. Hit us in the show notes to drop off your favorite things about 4th of July. What's your favorite things? You can also find all of our links to all of our shows and to all of our social medias at our link tree at Donuts with Dudes. We'll return to the show in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. At some point in our adult lives, we may have to turn our attention to the needs and safety of our parents and grandparents as they age. They've done so much for us, and it's our turn to make sure they have the best quality of life. I founded HomeSpark because seniors deserve to have the very best care available so they can age with dignity and remain independent longer. Our caregivers provide wellness checks, companionship, transportation, meal preparation, and more of what you think is important. To learn more about our personalized care plan, visit us at homesparkcare.com. HomeSpark, we care for people. Well, dudes, in our bakery today, we've got pretty cool guest with us here today. We've got Blake Robertson. He's the founder of Carbach Brewing Company, and uh, he also is the owner of RC Ranch. And the biggest point that that comes into all this is that Blake hit his first home run off of Anthony. Uh, what, dudes? Welcome to the bakery, Blake Robertson. Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, you know, Cameron and Anthony, I appreciate the, the time here. And Anthony, I'm not sure that ball has landed yet. <laughs> hey, man, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, <laughs> I think you're right. I, I think it's still out there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think we were uh, 13 or 14 years old. So lots of baseball memories uh, between the two of us. So that was a, a lot of good times that we shared with a lot of, a lot of really cool dudes. You know, but great times, man. It was awesome. Gotta love it. Well, hey, Blake, we know that you're the expert in in brewing. I definitely love your craft of beers, and, and I, I definitely indulge whenever there is a chance to get one at a bar or pick up a 12-pack. But can you tell us a little bit of the, the backstory behind starting Carbock and, and how it all started? Most definitely, man. It's a very unique story and, and something that I'm extremely proud of. And, and you know, I'm, I'm far from, from any head brewer. I'm, I'm more, as I tell people going through this process, I prefer my head in the bar and not the brewery. So uh, I was pretty much everything outside the brewery going through this process. But we do have a unique story. So I'm, I'm one of one of the co-founders. There was two families, my family, um, the Robertsons, and then another local uh, family there in Brian College Station, the, the Goodmans, and my dad and Ken, uh, my dad's Chuck Robertson, and then uh, his partner, Ken Goodman, they started in the beer business in 1983, started a little company called C.R. Goodman, and um, they were known for their specialty import brands, and then also um, really creating craft beer in a craft beer industry here in Texas, and that that spread, their distribution company spread from Brian College Station where we had brands like Shiner Bach and Guinness and Pearl and um, St. Pauli Girl, a lot of old school brands. I mean, we even sold Dos Equis there in town and 
um, all the, all the malt liquors and these guys, you know, came from nothing. And, um, really back then in the eighties, they were just trying to find their way. They came both from the steel business and they, they started this, you know, specialty crafted import distributorship. And then they expanded that across Texas warehouse in Dallas, Houston, Austin, and then had a, some satellite, um, branches as well. And, and I was fortunate enough to work, um, on, on the other two family businesses, which was CR Goodman and Bellicus. Bellicus was our importing company and started that in the late eighties there out of Bryant call station. So you could technically get a, a beer, you know, that was imported by my dad and Ken, um, you know, up in New York, he would say, you know, Bellicus marketing, Brian, Texas on the back of it, uh, which was pretty cool back in the day, but all that, um, you know, fast forward and, and, uh, Bennett is Ken's oldest son. And I'm, you know, but my dad, I'm his only son. And, and we just had a passion for beer our whole life, you know, sweeping floors of warehouses and racking beer for the Dixie chicken when we were, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old and just, just working hard out there. We, we had a passion for beer. And so when the time was right, we were able, uh, my dad and Ken sold their distribution company in Texas. Um, and, and by state law, the three tier system, you have to have, um, separation between, you know, distribution, manufacturing and retail. And so, um, they sold that business and, and, and did that so we could kind of create our own brand. Um, you know, while they brought so many different brands in the state of Texas, you know, Anchor Steam out of California, Sierra Nevada out of California, Rogue, Anchor, Dogfish. I mean, I can go on and on on these great brands that they brought into the state of Texas and helped grow. We just, we wanted to grow our own brand. So that time happened in September of 2011. My dad and Ken put up a significant investment. And, and bet on the founding group. And the founding group was myself. Um, and I was everything out in, in, in kind of sales and marketing world, distributor relationships. And then uh, Bennett Goodman, which was Ken's son. And uh, he was more on the operations, still is today, uh, operations and CapEx and brewing. And, and then uh, we brought in a, an amazing guy named Eric Warner. He was our founding brewmaster, uh, still with us today and um, brewing great beer and from Colorado. And, uh, and then we had two other guys that have actually worked, uh, for our families for over 30 years, David Greenwood and Brad Batson. And, um, all of which are, are the three of those guys are great mentors to Bennett and I. Um, and then of course, along with our, our fathers, um, you know, Chuck and Ken, if it wasn't for those guys, uh, you know, none of this would have, would have ever come true. So just been uh, a long journey, you know, we're about to turn 13 years old. We, we picked out our first keg, September of 2011, and um, in 2013, we were named the fastest-growing craft brewery in the country. Man, we just didn't slow down from there. It, it, it was a rocket ship and lots of very strategic investments behind it. And, and like I said, without my dad and Ken being behind that and, and, and helping us, guide us you know, through these investments, um, none, none of this would have came real. So it, it was a fast uh, 12, 13 years now, so pretty crazy. Man, that that is crazy. What uh, what was the first Carbach craft beer you guys made? And that's a great question. We tussled over this for so long, and out there in the craft and import world, you guys know. I mean, growing up drinking beer, it was, you know, back in the day, we had everything out of the bottle, and then uh, then it slowly started transitioning over to cans, and craft beer had this amazing, uh, you know, um, kind of redefining what it was in the early 2000s really 2008 9 and 10 it just 
really took off. And then, and then again in 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, and this, this, this craft boom was out there. And, and, you know, that was one of the hardest decisions for, for, as a brewer is, man, do we go in bottles? Do we go in cans? And then, and then of course styles, you know, so the first four styles that we launched, we lost a, a, a lager that was, um, sympathy for the lager. And it was, you know, based on the the song, you know, Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. Um, and then we we made a beer called Vice Versa Wheat, which um, was a, a hybrid between a Belgian wit and an, an American wheat beer. Um, Eric Warner, our brewmaster, uh, wrote several books and was uh, had one that was, uh, he was really famous for, not the book, but the beer. It was called Tabernash. So while we were cutting our teeth, and distribution and, and selling beer, Eric was doing the same on brewing beer. So he had uh, a little brewery called Tabernash, and, and he was known in the brewing world for his wheat beer. So we we did that, and we imported some some amazing Belgian wits. And so one night, you know, the guys were all at the bar and conversating over what who we're going to be, what we're going to be, and they started mixing uh, bel- really cool Belgian wit beers with some really cool American wheat. Uh, beers and and uh we said man this is this would be perfect let's let's just combine these two styles and make uh make a hybrid and let's just call it vice versa and we spelt it more like the german um german style of 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 you know both vice and 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 um and all that so was, those were two of our our starters and then we also had a hopadillo ipa which is the still the number one selling ipa in the state of texas since 2013 so that thing is has made it a decade it's the number one spot which is something that we really hang our hat on and then uh we our double ipa rodeo clown which actually uh the goodman so ken um had a don't quote me on this a cousin or nephew or, or uncle or something that was i think it was an uncle that was a, a an actual rodeo clown with the houston livestock show and rodeo and all that going on right man we got to have a beer and, and let's i think we went back trying to name you know hazardous jobs i mean naming beer was was, was a, a big challenge but uh rodeo clown was a was a great name and and he brought that one to the table so so those four styles we had lager wheat you know ipa and double ipa was the first four that we kicked out um september of 2011 man is one of my favorite ipas and I do know what you're talking about with Rodeo Clown. It was that double IPA, but and I love that too. But I probably gained about 10 pounds drinking <laughs> that the first couple of weeks of doing that. And I was like, oh, dude, I got, I got to chill on this. I've I've never had the Tabernash, but Tabernash is my favorite place. Tabernash, Colorado is my favorite place in the entire world. Yeah, he was up, he you know, born and raised Denver native and, and, and lives up in, in Slato now. And, you know, when they started Tabernash, they ended up joining forces with Left Hand up there that's still going today. And, um, but they just they made great beer and it was a great name and yeah so that's kind of where that storyline comes from for sure but yeah it's uh you know rodeo clown is definitely a a a, a ribeye in, in a in a can really balanced beer and that's you know one thing that eric you know when we were gonna you know make beer it was hey let's make some amazing styles let's really win in these styles and i think he did a great job of that I like to. I'd have to agree, especially on the naming process. I think you guys did a, have done a great job. Definitely a big fan of your your twelve man logger too as well. Might be a little biased on that, but uh, but <laughs> it, 
but anyways, you know, we're we're coming out of a season where supply chain issues were running rampant during the the pandemic. And so I'm just curious, are you guys still running into sourcing problems? It, if so, where are you guys sourcing a lot of your your barley, your wheat, and, and everything and all the ingredients that go into uh, creating your beers? No, that's a great question. You know, the, the beer business is such a relationship business, and I don't think that will ever change, even though, you know, the the standardization around the beer business has, has tried to push us to, you know, more data decisions and, you know, the world's getting smarter, the consumer's getting smarter. Um, these devices are extremely smart that we all keep in our pockets every day. And, um, but, but at the end of the day, the beer business is relationship and that, you know, goes through some of these hard times that, that we went through, um, you know, with our employees and some of our restaurants and pubs and of course the whole industry, how it just got turned upside down. And, and, you know, I think we're starting to kind of get back some of those but i mean that's where you know those relationships really came um to help and also you know we got um you know acquired by anheuser bush um six and a half years ago so some of those deep relationships that they have helped helped us you know us carry through these some of these times but yeah we buy you know um you know malt and barley and and hops from all over the world um and uh you know we have eric has a lot of deep relationships that he has passed on um, you know, to this network and also, um, you know, to our team and, you know, we just, we use those to try to, you know, keep hold on, on, on every project that we do, but, but definitely, you know, that when you're, when you're, when you're building a new brand of beer, um, not necessarily maybe a new style that that's a whole nother conversation, but it's, you know, you, all those components go into it. You know, I mean, you've got the cans, you've got the lids. You've got six pack holders, you know, you've got the trays, you've got the, you know, water, malt, hops, barley. I mean, everything that goes into this, the, the labor, um, all the tanks, the hoses, the the fittings, um, you know, the, the sanitary components. I mean, just everything that goes into making that little can of beer uh, would blow your mind. And um, so we have to take everything in consideration. And sometimes it, it, it hurts our innovation process because we have to steer away from doing something that we might love or want to do or create um, just because of the times that we're in right now. But, uh, but we leave those doors open and um, we learn from each and every one of them, but yes, it's very challenging, but um, I'll tell you our team, we're, we're only as good as our employees and uh, we employ some of the best people in the country. And uh, we're always recruiting for that next wave of people and, just have amazing leadership at Carbach, and and that that that's something that I'm extremely proud of. You know, some of the big news, um, not only locally but you know nationally, was when Carbach sold to Anheuser Busch. Man, could you let us know just like kind of what that experience was like, and you know maybe how they influenced you know y'all's brewing techniques or even brand identity? No doubt, man. Yeah, it was a amazing process to go through. You know, we uh. Both, you know, the Robertsons and the Goodmans families, we had to make some, some quick decisions just because of the growth that we were experiencing, which obviously is something that we're extremely blessed for and, and uh, you know, really thank the, our employees and, and definitely the consumer out there for believing in our brands and, and still today, you know, being the number two craft brewery in the state of Texas behind, you know, Shiner is, is a big, is a award in itself. I think, you know, Shiner's been around for over 115 years. Not sure where they're quite out yet, but it's a long time. And uh, we, 
we were able to distribute that great brand and Brian called station. And so we, we've got a little piece of that story. And then, you know, this one that we created, um, you know, called Carbot Brewing Company, and we're all proud of it in our own way. And I think, you know, we got to a point where we knew how to grow to um, a certain amount of barrels. And, um, and we were very comfortable with that as a group. Um, it was life after that, that, that got a little, got a little fuzzy. And so we, we, every day we would work to try to understand that, but at the rate of which we were growing, we knew we might potentially need a, a strategic partner from an investment standpoint. One thing, you know, I, I, I know, no, uh, nothing against, um, you know, private equity groups. I think those are, they have the right places and the right timing on different businesses and, and have a lot of respect for those guys in that community. I know a lot of them, but we, we just, as a group, were not, uh, we didn't want to be a number, you know, we didn't want to be an investment. We wanted to be a, a legacy. And that's something that was really important to us. We wanted to, you know, maintain all the jobs that we had created. We wanted to maintain all the identity and, and culture around our beers and our people that we have all created together. And that's when Anheuser Bush came knocking. Um, all those things that I just said were, were true, you know, and, and they're not the devil like everybody perceives them to be. They're an amazing organization with unbelievable relationships and a passion that I think will never, never change. And that passion is, you know, making the, the, the best beer, um, the highest quality beer, um, the most efficient beer, um, you know, from a profitable standpoint and, and, and then just being cutting edge and innovation and trying to stay ahead of times, you know, and, and that's something that, that we were doing too. And so it was a, a very natural fit when we got down the road and, um, you know, which was, was, was a long process, but, uh, dad and Ken did such a great job, you know, navigating those waters while we were over in the trenches, you know, still growing the business every day. And then once it kind of came that, you know, the dream came to reality, it was, all right, let's all get in a room and meet each other and, and see how we can bring this thing forward. And, uh, and so we're, you know, obviously I could speak for both my family and the Goodmans on this topic. We're just super thankful and blessed that, that this opportunity, you know, hit our, hit our doorstep. And, uh, you know, people always say, man, would you go back and change time? And, you know, the entrepreneurial side of me sometimes thanks that but but the just the, the what we've done together over the last six and a half years you, you put that down and you go man what what a great decision we all made to invest in each other and invest in our people and invest in our processes and and so you know the, the main thing that people always ask too is man they, they came in and changed everything and this that and the other and the answer is simple it's no you know they buy your business for what you are who you are and uh and and where you're going and they just, they sit back and kind of go, hey, man, what door do you want open? Um, you know, they do, they do put their fingers on some things, but, but that's because they, they need to and have to. And, uh, but at the end of the day, our, our team runs our business and we just help kind of coach and mentor that every day from a founding um, group perspective. Yeah. I feel like over the past decade or so, we've seen a lot more craft beers pop up, different styles of beers, and, and there's definitely a lot more access to them now. With that being said, you know, I feel like this space could be potentially saturated. So what are you guys doing at Carbach to help stay ahead of that curve? Obviously, you guys have maintained that top spot for over 10 years with Hopadillo 
uh, second top craft beer here in the state of Texas. What are you guys doing to maintain your relevancy and to, to stay at the forefront of consumerism too as well? You know, I think that message hasn't changed from the get-go. We, we made a decision probably about year two, maybe maybe even in the first 18 months. It was, man, this, you know, I go to a convenience store. I go to a ball game. I, I go to all these places every day in my everyday life. You know, our beers aren't there. So we want to change the way people look and perceive beer was kind of our message. We wanted to be all things to all people. You know, we had a... Uh, we kind of had an old saying is, hey, let's giddy up, you know, and it was always about, you know, us either going to the next phase of our business or making the next beer or, or doing this. So we, you know, a, a lot of times you'll hear breweries have a flagship brand or a flagship style that they really own. And, and ours, you know, we, we don't. You know, we have the number two blonde in the state of Texas. We have the number two Bach in the state of Texas. We have the number one IPA. Um, you know, we had a top 10 wheat um, at, at a time, and, and we're getting back to that. Uh, we've got the number two double IPA in the state of Texas. So our deal was to own um, styles, and and that still is is today. And, and we want to, you know, craft beer is about 25% of the of the total beer category. Uh, or no, actually, it's it's by by branches a little little. It can actually get more than that by certain areas, but uh. Shiner's a big base of that in a lot of areas, but IPA is 25% of the craft beer category. So IPA was always a, a real important one for us to own. And I think we've done a good job of that because, you know, hops change, um, change every, every day really because of by seasons, you know, it's, it's a crop based, um, you know, plant that, that, you know, is affected by weather. And so we've, our guys have always got to keep innovating, um, that beer to keep it as as great as it is, you know, and we've got to do that with all of our beers. You know, our, our, our concept was winning styles and, and, and then trying to, you know, see, you know, follow, follow the money, if you will. My dad always taught me that, you know, Hey son, if you get up every day, you know, watch a little bit of all the news, watch a little bit of all the markets and, and see where the world's going, see where the industry's going, see where your trade's going. And, you know, if you follow the money, you'll follow the consumer. And 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 in beer, I think that means, you know, following what they're buying. So go to bars, go to restaurants, you know, that kind of old football mentality, put your head on the swivel and really look around and see what people are doing. See what different races of people are doing, because we're all different in all different walks of our life. And 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 you know, what 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 are these um restaurants doing that, that are different from each other and so um that was one big thing that that we continue to do is, is keep learning what the consumer is doing and then we go try to create that you know we uh we made a um we, we jumped into the hard sales for category like you said oversaturated and, and it is it, it got to that point um both beer and or craft beer and and um i think you know the seltzer category and he's kind of beyond beer um, experiences, but, um, you know, one thing we were able to do is we made, we leaned it, which is ranch water is it's like saying IPA. It's a style of, of drink, which the, the distilled version is a tequila soda and, and lime with only a salted rim. So we made a malt based version of that. And we have a, an, an original lime in a can. And then we have a, um, uh, you know, a lemon, a watermelon, a prickly pear, 
um, a grapefruit, a spicy mango. And that's really where the, you know, the consumer was, was really jumped off into these seltzer styles the last three to five years. And, and I think because it was a little bit lighter, you know, you could, you could drink them a little bit more regularly. Um, and, and that's one thing that, that, you know, I'll add is we, we want to be all things, to all people, but we wanted to be this, this beer that could go everywhere. And that goes back to that, making a can decision, you know, we, you know, cans go or bottles can't. And we, we wanted our beer to be in your hand in every different opportunity, uh, every different occasion that you, you know, that you lived in your day-to-day life. And we wanted our brand to speak to that. And we wanted to have a style that you would love to drink and, and enjoy that occasion um, every single day. And so that's what we try to keep repeating. And and I think we've done, our team has done a great job in that. And, um, but yeah, man, you're right. It is, it's super crowded. And that, and you know, that's, that's probably one of the hardest things in the, in the industry right now. Sounds like a good success plan in my opinion. No doubt. I'm actually getting a little thirstier right now, too. I don't know. Uh, I know it's lunchtime, so I know what I'll be doing. But, um, hey, dude, uh, looking ahead, what can beer enthusiasts expect from Carbock Brewing Co. and, and regarding new brews, expansions, or upcoming projects, flavors? You know, what you got going on? Uh, yeah, that's a great, great question, man. We, You know, we have, like I mentioned early on, we have a, an amazing team. We've got a little pilot brewery inside the brewery that, um, you know, the, these guys and gals, I mean, they just rip it up you know they they do really cool things we have a brewery of the month for employee of the month people so there's always cool ideas coming out of that you know and and, and we just stay true to our roots which is work hard play hard mentality all things to all people is is who we are you know uh whether you're going hiking biking boating going to the game uh you know you're the soccer mom and got a car full of kids and um, you know, and, and you're going to your next weekend sporting outing and, you know, we, we want to be that, that, you know, happy hour refreshment that you kick back with. And so, you know, I think we're going to con- continue to look at, at the styles of beer and, and try to be the best in those categories and, and, and then those subcategories. And then, you know, we, we, we do look at the different things all the time. So this beyond beer space of, you know, I think one thing that we did miss the opportunity on was, was creating a Carbot distillery. Um, you know, Eric Warner, our brewmaster was also, uh, really good at that. And, um, he was part of the a brand called strain of hands whiskey out of Colorado. And it's just amazing stuff. And he, he helped kind of formulate that. And, um, so I, I think that is an opportunity that we could have jumped out there and who knows, we still might think these hard teas or, something that, that we're, we're constantly looking at. They're very hard to, to make consistently. And, and, um, and then, you know, the hard shells for space, try to understand where that is going and then how Carbot can participate and, and keep playing and growing in that segment. And then, you know, but never losing, losing sight of, of what got us to the dance. That's just making great beer with, with great employees and having a great time. You know, and that that's that's been our message all along. You know, we're not going to do something that feels like work. We're going to do something that we love and we're passionate about, and that can hopefully create jobs and create future opportunities for people that are that are climbing the ladder. Um, and 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 we do that in all all walks of, of life with our employees, and then also our charitable give back. 
you know, we have a Crawford Bach was a, a, a great, you know, Bach is one of the biggest styles here in Texas in the craft segment because of Schotterbach. So we jumped on that and, and the Crawford Bach we made with, with the Houston Astros partnership, we've given over, you know, $400,000 back to their foundation. You know, we, we, we give pallets and a beer to, to charities, you know, basically daily, weekly. I mean, you know, whether it's 20 cases or, or 200, we're looking at those opportunities. You know, we raised over a million dollars for the EMS society, um, through our, you know, through the bike ride and all that stuff that we do. And, just countless things are across the great state of Texas that uh, that that our brand has written alongside to, and and that's what we want to keep winning in is is those occasions, and then making that right experience for style, um, you know, that they, they, they can live with that person forever, and they can create a a cool moment around that, and that that's what we want to keep doing. Well, I love the look ahead, um, uh, and, and I look forward to seeing what you guys brew up, and then, no pun intended, or pun intended, but I'm uh, looking <laughs> forward to seeing what you guys uh, bring up here in the next couple of years. I've always enjoyed a lot of y'all's crafts, and so, but before we let you go, Blake, uh, can you just t- touch a little bit on RC Ranch, what you guys are doing over there, and, 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 and how people can get in contact with you? No, man, I appreciate that. Yeah, it, um, you know, beef and beer. Those are two things that have always been a passion of mine. Uh, America. Yeah, that's it, man. You know, it, and, you know, my dad and Ken, they actually had a, a little uh, cattle business back in the day uh, under CCK, Chuck, Charlie, and Ken. And Charlie was actually my grandfather. He just passed, um, but he lived, a, you know, almost 91 amazing years. Um, he actually helped my, my dad and Ken stay alive back in the, in the, in the mid eighties um, with a small investment he did. And that's, that's, Really, you know, we give all the glory back to, to to that that one moment. But then my dad and Ken's, you know, resilient attitude to to keep winning every day. And uh, so I don't know. About thirteen years ago, um, it was about a year actually before we started Carbach. I, Ryan, a great buddy of mine, lifelong friend, um, Ryan Cade, and and I um, created RC Ranch. You know, it was kind of my way of of well, man, I want to, I want to, I've worked for the family. I worked for my dad and Ken for my whole career outside of a couple other jobs that I had in college. And then my main job that I started right out of college, which was in the beer business. I've uh, just kind of learned the retail side down at the, the flying saucer in downtown Houston. But I mean, I want to go make my own money. I wanted to, learn, I wanted to uh, say that was mine. And, uh, and, you know, I, I did that and I, I get that with Carbot, but it's, I do it for the families, you know, um, work really hard to make sure that, that that the families are taken care of, their employees are taken care of. And that's something that I'm super passionate about. But at the same time I wanted to kind of make my own mark and, and I was able to to do that with Ryan. And, and it's been a long time coming. Uh we just brought on a new partner. Um his name's Parker Johnson, amazing guy I met through the beer industry. He's real big in the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo and um uh, and, and we've we've been able to do a lot of amazing things giving back to that rodeo since but it's you know our our, our businesses we raise wagyu cattle and uh wagyu translates to japanese cow it's as simple as that um there was four different genetic lines that came over in the, in the you know late 70s early 80s and we, we were able to um you know capture those through um and, and start our own little herd 
um, back in you know 2010. We we have a full blood herd now, and then a, a three quarter blood herd. And and my partner Ryan is extremely knowledgeable in the genetics that go behind growing great wagyu beef. And and um, you know since then uh, we've we've had a lot, lot of ups and a lot of downs, a lot more downs than ups. Um, so it, you know I tell people. You know, I can put a Hopadillo IPA in front of you in about 17 to 22 days, you know, fresh as can be. It takes me three years to put that ribeye on your plate in the, in the, in the cow industry. And, and, and I go back to, you know, what I was talking about early is, is, you know, my dad and Ken found out that, you know, the cattle business was, was tough living on that commodity side. And today, Ken, he's got a, a beautiful property right out uh, off Peach Creek cut off and it. He runs um, some cattle for some different group, and so uh, you know we stay in conversation from time to time about it, and 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 our passions, you know, are are the same there, and, and we want to grow great cattle. It's kind of a uh, you get, get out and play cowboy, and and that hobby that started as a hobby turned into uh, work really quick, and so RC Ranch is now, um, you know, we're in about 150 to 200 restaurants around texas uh you can find us a little bit over in in uh in the in lafayette and baton rouge um area ryan played football for usl so he's got some ties over there you know we, we also uh we have a full-blown food service business and then we started our meat snack business which uh we're at over 236 hebs you can find our wagyu uh, we have four lines of jerky uh we also partner with alex bregman uh, with the houston astros um, and his breaky bomb food chain, we make his, his jerky, what's our jerky that is under his name, the, the breaky bomb. I mean, you can find that at limited times. We're actually doing a cross promotion with, uh, you'll see it at the all-star break. Uh, it'll hit stores. We're doing a Crawford Bach space city outer pack, and it'll be sold in, in 12 packs there in, in all the grocery stores. And we'll have the, the Alex pregnant jerky, the breaky bomb jerky right there next to it. And, uh, so we have a lot of those fun cross promotions. Um, we have two Wagyu meat sticks that are right there with it, but we also just opened up Specs and uh, Total Wine um, and Kroger. Um, so along with that, and so we're we're um, we've got all the beer guys and and the the wholesalers that I've got great relationships with across the state. They'll be delivering that um, across the state to a lot of stores and restaurants, bars, you know, bowling alleys, golf courses. Um, you name it, we, we want we want to really dive into that segment. And then, lastly, we've got an online business uh, It's attached to our retail shop. Uh, our retail shop is at the Houston Farmers Market. Um, it's on Airline and Six Ten. Um, the Houston Farmers Market has been around, gosh, almost eighty, ninety years now. So I think since like nineteen thirty nine, um, a group uh, acquired it a few years ago and put a lot of money into it revamped it and um we were one of the first anchor tenants in there so we've got a usda butcher shop um you can walk in six days a week and uh you know buy our beef and uh, and buy a lot of local other things um that we carry to grow um, other small local businesses in there as well uh you know from honey to peanuts to chips to salsas uh you name it and we've got a lot of uh, ready to eat items that our group makes there um, as it's a USDA cut floor as well. So in the back, our guys and gals are working hard um, to make like Wagyu lasagna, Wagyu queso, Wagyu meatloaves that's, that are all ready to go. 
You know, you can basically plan your entire week, month, quarter, you know, in our butcher shop on on what you want to eat. And uh, but you can find us at www.r-cranch.com. Um, that's our website. Um, and you can navigate to there. So it's r with a dash cranch.com. And, um, you know, that our e-commerce side, uh, we're really diving into uh, doing a lot of corporate gifting. So, you know, there's, I think we, when we looked it up, there was over 370 occasions um, that we live, you know, so that's more than one a day. Um, you know, whether it's a wine, you know, wine day or, or beer day, national beer day or national grilling day or national hot dog day. Well, we've got Wagyu hot dogs. You know, we've got, um, you know, Wagyu ground beef. We've got pretty much any and everything that you need uh, for your next occasion. And we also do monthly grilling classes there. Um, so just a ton going on. I'm super proud of our team. We've got about 20 employees now. You know, excited to see where that goes. We've got over 20 co-producers around the state of Texas. So we've got over over um, over 1,500 head now um, in our in our uh, what we call our foundation herd, our genetics that we control, and then got you know probably over seven eight hundred feeders that are that are you know feeding out and getting ready to go. And one cool thing to add, and I'll wrap it up, is um, the um, spent grain that is at Carbock that you know you get you get after brewing a batch of beer. Uh, my partner and I have been buying that from Carbock since 2013, um, and now it's. We, we buy it by the truckload, about six to eight loads a week. And that goes down to Gonzales, Texas, where um, a lot of our cattle are um, getting fed out. And so it's, you know, no hormones, no antibiotics. Um, we will treat a sick cow um, if it's needed, just like a sick, a sick human being. You know, you're going to go to the doctor type stuff, but uh, all, all hormone-free, uh, free-range cattle. Um, you know, we finish them on grass, uh, excuse me, start them on grass, finish them on our carbox spent grain, which is really high in protein and um, kind of tells the circle of life there from brewing a batch of beer and then feeding your cattle with it. So our, I always say that our, our cattle uh, feel really good out there in the pasture. Sounds like it, man. And I got to tell you, I think now is the time to go get a, a 12th man uh, lager and, and a steak because now I'm, my mouth is salivating after this conversation. But thanks for sharing that with us, Blake. And Obviously, we're looking forward to seeing how things turn out with Carbock, the innovations that you have coming out, and everything going on with your ranch. And so thank you for so much for coming on the show and sharing those experiences with us. And I, I appreciate the opportunity, guys, and, and good luck in y'all's uh, you know, podcast. And next time I'm passing through, I'll make sure I fill up the studio with uh, with y'all's favorite beer and, and, uh, and definitely some jerky and meat sticks. Not going to argue with you there. Sounds like a plan. Have a good rest of your day, and, and we'll have you back in the bakery here soon. Thank you, guys, and uh, y'all enjoy the 4th of July. Same to you. Well, dudes, that's our show for this week. Special shout-out to Blake Robertson from the Carbock Brewing Company for stopping in the bakery to discuss all things surrounding beer. And, guys, if you'd like to learn more about Carbock Brewing, check out their website, carbockbrewing.com. As always, you can find more of our content in our link tree at Donuts with Dudes. 
Dude, you can always request a shout out or comment on today's show by following the link in our show notes or by emailing us at info at donutswithdudes.com. And dudes, always remember, our mission is to make men better and smarter each week. And until next week, take care of yourself, and we'll see you guys in the bakery for our next batch of fresh hot topics.